So welcome, LifeSpring, uh, and Pastor Dan, and all the family back in Israel, uh, shalom. So, you know, they're walking, where, they're walking where Jesus walked. They walked where Jesus walked. They're seeing all the places where miracles happened, and, uh, and, uh, and the crucifixion, and, and everything about that's vitally important to all of us. And they're there, firsthand, personal. And being blessed, and and when Dan left, someone was mentioning the first service. After Dan, Pastor Dan, went the last time, he came back different. Well, imagine when he's going to come back, and all the rest of the folks, when they get an up close, personal experience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, where he grew up and where he ministered and touched so many lives, and everything that we believe, everything we believe started back there. Isn't that cool? You know, one thing that was going on this morning in both services. Uh, I love the way this church uh, worships and prays, and thank you, Matthew, for doing this uh, two times in a row, man. It's it's like, (laughs) way to go, Matthew! But uh, it's something that was really special. I I mean, I love, I have a music background, so I listen to the harmony and all that, and and the, the different voices. But there's, both services, there were little voices that were five, six, seven years old. And I don't know if you saw them, but they're worshiping with all of their heart. They're praising God. They're raising their fingers to Jesus. They're making little heart signs when we talk about the heart. And so it just so, it just was so encouraging to see these kids. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. And they're only six or seven years old. It's going to be okay. The church is coming up. There's another generation coming up, and it's going to be good. So it was just awesome to watch. So. Thessalonians. We've been in Thessalonians like for five years. No, we haven't. One of the last times I preached, well, I preach a couple times a year. They let me loose, and then it's all up to you to figure out what I'm saying. But uh, last, one of the last times I talked was in March, and I looked at the notes, and I preached on Thessalonians. So, <laughs> so, so here we go again. We had some things in between. But, you know, Paul, of course, wrote... Uh, Thessalonians and most of the New Testament. Um, and Paul was a bad guy. He was a religious leader, and he was the one that uh, he would persecute Christians and make life tough to him. He was there when Stephen the martyr was martyred and stoned to death, and he was there encouraging all of that. And he was a bad dude and didn't care for Christians one bit. And then the Lord got a hold of him and had that experience where all of a sudden he changed. And Jesus, really, in that light, got a hold of him and changed him completely, changed him completely, and he turned from there, and then all of a sudden we have Paul uh, going to all these different places, the the Philippians, Philippi, uh, Corinth, the Corinthians, Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, and on and on it goes, Corinth, the Corinthians, um, he went all over. How many of you, if uh, we start off tomorrow, uh, we're going to go on a little journey? And we're going to walk, no car, no phone, no cell phone, no computer, no GPS, no nothing. We're going to take off, we're going to walk from here to Portland, Maine. And every little town and every little stop we come to, we're going to talk to people about Jesus and talk about the resurrection and talk about the soon coming king. And we're going to preach the gospel. Wouldn't that be cool? Let's do it. Saddle up right hard. From here to Portland, Maine. And then hang out in Portland, Maine for a while and have some lobster. And then turn around and come back. And come back again. 7,000 miles. That's what the Apostle Paul did in his three 
tours, ministry trips, 7,000 miles to preach the gospel to all those different places. Isn't that something? Without any electronics, no phone, no car, no nothing. And he's impacted the church ever since with the good word. So talking about working for God is what we're talking about this morning. How are you doing working for God? Um, I often wondered, we have this theme that we've been going along with, stand firm and hold fast. So they go, well, where in the world did Pastor Dan, where did Pastor Dan get that thing from? Is that like a bumper sticker off the internet? The pastors are pretty good going on the internet and getting different things for sermon topics. And I thought, well, that was kind of cute. And then I realized, oh, well, look at 2 Thessalonians 2.15. There it is. So then, brothers and sisters, that's all y'all. So, brothers and sisters, stand firm and hold fast. Imagine that. It came out of the Bible. It says, stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word or mouth or by letter. Pretty cool. Stand firm, hold fast. We as Christians got to hold arm, arm to arm, you know, arm to arm. The world is crazy. Just look at what's going on out there. It's everyone's angry. Everyone's wanting to call everybody names. But we as believers, we've got to stand firm and hang on to each other, trust in the Lord with all our soul, with all our mind, all our mind, and hang on, hold strong. And uh, so just join me in a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you. We just take a deep breath and let that week go and all that stuff. And Lord, we just take a deep breath and just Holy Spirit just come into us and surge through us and calm our mind, calm our feelings um, and be with us. Everything that's said and done, may it be your word and your spirit and may you speak to all of us in a, in a unique and individual way. In Jesus' name, amen. So, uh, Pastor Dan gave me uh, the section of 2 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. I've never struggled more, uh, you can ask my wife, I never struggled more looking at this thing like, what am I supposed to do with this, Lord? What? What? I, I don't get this. But I think I figured it out and we'll see what happens. And then I'll start and I'll try to end and then you guys nod your head that you're keeping up. Okay? All right. And welcome back from Australia, Lassie. Hey, put another shrimp on the barbie and a blooming onion. No worries. No worries. <laughs> she just got back at the end. I just got back from Australia. So, welcome back, Aleph. Second um, Thessalonians 3, 6 through 15. Help me read verse 6 together and do it in full voice. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, to keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive, and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Let's read it one more time. Make sure you kind of get this. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command you, brothers and sisters, keep away from every believer who is idle and disruptive and does not live according to the teaching you received from us. Wow, that's a little tough, Paul. But we, he goes on from there. Then he talks about how we should live. He says, for you yourselves, and I'll just read this, for yourselves... Know how you ought to follow your, for yourselves, know how you ought to follow our example. We're not idle when you're with, with you, nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day laboring and toiling so that we would not be a burden to you. We did this not because we 
do not have the right to have such help, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. For even when you were, even when we were with you, we gave you this one rule. Everyone say one rule. The one rule is the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. Wow, Paul, what an old crudgemudgeon. The one who's unwilling to work should not eat. I was telling somebody in the first service, those over here who knew Ray Wright, that sounds just like something Ray Wright would say. If you're unwilling to work, you're not going to eat. Talking about believers in the church, okay? We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They are not busy. They're not busy. It goes on and says they're busybodies. They're disrupting. They're talking about what's wrong with the church. They kind of, and they'd like to have the free food and the free money, right? It's not in this church. It's all those other churches in the community. But such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ, settle down and earn the food that you eat. Now, for the rest of y'all, all y'all, for you brothers and sisters, never tire of doing what is good. Never tire of doing what's good. Sometimes it's hard, but don't tire in doing what's good. And then he goes back to these, these folks in the church and he goes, take special note of anyone who does not obey our instruction, do not associate with him. Wow, Paul, uh, that they may feel ashamed. And then it goes on and says, but do not regard them as the enemy but warn them as you would a fellow believer. Wow. Now you know why I struggled. No, we were talking about don't, they can't eat, and we, gotta, we don't have anything to do with them. And I go, wow. Where's the love? <laughs> but apparently the church in Thessalonica had some believers who refused to work. They were probably sponging off their brothers in the church and creating tension. Some translations describe these non-working folks as... Uh, idle, uh, but most uh, scholars say they were unruly and disorderly, which means they were just causing, causing chaos. They caused some chaos. And, they, and one of the reasons I'll get to in a minute, but they were just out of step. They seemed they had a defiant attitude because they were deliberately disregarding the commands of Paul. Paul said, you know, we got, we're in this together. The Lord Jesus Christ is in us. His Holy Spirit is in us. And he only had to show, oh, he only had, when he went to Thessalonica, he only had three weeks. He showed up with Silas. He had three weeks because he'd been ran out of Philippi. He got ran out of Philippi, preached, set up the church in uh, Philippi, the Philippians, then went to Thessalonica. He was there three days, night and day, night and day, preaching the gospel, instilling everything that he knew about uh, God, Jesus, uh, his death, his resurrection, uh, his ascension into heaven, the imparting of his and sending of the, of the comfort, his Holy Spirit in us. And this church was born. Jews were converted. Greeks were converted. Pagans were converted. And uh, the church grew exponentially. It grew exponentially with only three weeks. Can you imagine planting a church somewhere with only three weeks? It had to be God. It had to be the Holy Spirit that just blew that thing up. Amen? Just blew it up. And then he had to leave because he got chased out of town because the Jewish leaders didn't want him there because he was talking about Jesus being the son of God. And the uh, political leaders didn't like it because they referred to him as Lord. And only the uh, rulers of the Roman Empire were considered Lord or King. So they ran him out of town three weeks. But here's the church. The church was strong, still going strong. So 
How in the world are we supposed to live as believers? First, less, yeah, First Thessalonians 4 says it this way. Thank you. Uh, make it your goal to live a quiet life. Uh, minding your own business. Say, minding your own business. Turn to your neighbor and say, minding your own business. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Working with your hands, just as we instructed you. Then the people who are not believers will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Respect the way you live. When we do that, we live quiet lives, we live good lives, we're, we're, we, we love Jesus. People see that in you, church. They see that in me. And they, they see that, and regardless if you're in a hostile environment at work or you've got family members that think you're crazy because you go to church, whatever it is, that they see your lifestyle. They see your lifestyle. You're quiet. You believe in God. You know, I've seen it many times in my life, and you probably have too, that in the workplace or in the neighborhood or with your kids, when the bottom falls out in their life, and I've heard some stories of hardcore vile people in warehouse situations and trucking situations that they're just vile as can be. They make fun of the Christians. But when the bottom falls out and they get the doctor's report or their marriage blows up or their kid gets seriously injured or killed, what happens? They come to you. They come to you and say, look, there's something special about you. I don't even know what it is. The bottom of my life has fallen apart. I don't know what to do. Would you talk to me? And they know, they know that you're a believer. They hate that you're a believer. But they know there's something special about you. And so many times they say, I'm broken. I'm busted. Would you pray for me? Right? Would you pray for me? This is the vilest sinner in the world, calling you every single name and talking about your mother at the same time. Would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? And you get a chance to do that. And then you get to see, see them melt a little bit. See God work in their heart and watch the tears come down their face. Quiet lives, minding our own business. Then the people who are not believers will respect the way you live and you will not need to depend on others. Then another verse that sounds strong too is 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Um, why don't you say this one with me? Uh, and now, dear brothers and sisters, we give you this command in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stay away from all believers who live idle lives and don't follow the tradition received from us. Wow, that's pretty tough. But if putting a little bit of distance, if we always are trying to enable them and keep them up to date, they'll, they'll drag us down. But we're still supposed to love them. Second Thessalonians um, 3.11 says, we hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. And then Paul says, they're not busy, they're busy bodies in the church. Wow, you see how, come, how tough this was to figure out what in the world to do with this? Anyway, why they weren't working, why weren't those believers in the early church in Thessalonica not working? Paul had preached the gospel. He preached all about Jesus, about God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, 
But he also was talking about the soon coming king, that Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. Jesus is coming soon. And so many of them, being a new church, they didn't know exactly what that is. So if Jesus is coming, I don't need to work anymore. I'm going to give up. Jesus is coming. Well, I've been, you know, I've been on this planet quite a few years, and I believe that all every single day of my life that Jesus is coming. How about you? But they gave up, and they quit working, and they wanted everybody to feed them and do all that. And Paul said, no, 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 no. So Paul was trying to help the unruly believer by lovingly encouraging him, talking to him. Come on, brother. Come on, sister. Uh, you can do better than this. You can do better than this. And it's tough to exercise discipline to a family member. Anybody have kids or grandkids? Anybody try to discipline your kids, your grandkids? Try to guide them along the path or neighbors or people in the church. Paul was dealing with the young church and trying to teach them. And 2 Thessalonians 3.10, For even when we were with you, we gave you this one rule. Even when we were with you, we gave you this one rule. And this definitely sounds like Ray Wright. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. That's an amen, so that's true, right? If you're not willing to work. You know, and I, I'll get into the other side of encouraging these people. Paul was saying you can't, if you have kids or grandkids, and they're to, to the, like teenagers, and they're trying to earn money for a car and go to college and all that stuff, but they're not willing to work, and you're going, you need to get a job. You need to get a job. We can't be paying for all this stuff all the time. And they just go, yeah, 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 yeah. They don't do it. So eventually he goes, look, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you, but you've got to get a job. We, we can't be forwarding this all the time. So give me all your devices, all your electronic things, the TV's off, the Wi-Fi's off, da-da-da. Go to your room. There's no dinner. Tomorrow you're going to start looking for a job. What? Work? You're going to go get a job. What? And so you take, and there's no dinner. Go to your room. Uh, oh, by the way, I love you, and Jesus loves you. <laughs> Good night. Tomorrow there's no breakfast, and we're going to go out and find work. Right? Anybody been there? Some people have 35-year-old kids living in their basement. Yeah. There's a whole generation of kids that have 35, and there may be somebody in the room here that still has adult kids living with you. But you got 35-year-old kids living with you in the basement, and you're cleaning their clothes, and you're cleaning their underwear, and you're feeding them, and they're working part-time in a restaurant somewhere, and you get to say, please get out of the house. I need you to go to work. And they go, why? Because you're not going to eat. So you got to get a job. you got to get out of the house. you got to go, you know, you're 30 years old. Number one, lovingly encourage the unruly believer to go to work. Paul repeatedly uses the words. When he's talking in all these verses, he's talking about brethren. He's talking about brother. He's talking about sister. It's not somebody that's just completely defiant to you. But it's people in the church, people in our family, people in our relationships that are just, for whatever reason, are going the wrong way. And Paul says, love should be our motivation in everything we do. Amen? including correcting an unruly brother. Biblical love, sometimes we get this notion that biblical love is always being nice and cheerful and 
smiling and and sometimes it's not right rather biblical love seeks the highest good and namely that he might be conformed to the image of jesus through corrections through encouragement through uh, being there setting an example saying it over again saying it over again and eventually if it gets to a point then then there's a consequence for that but if a person is disobeying god's command commandments it's not lovingly it's not loving to let them keep on going and doing the same thing over and over again and never growing never changing and being stuck in their own trap uh in galatians it says brethren again brothers sisters in the lord if anyone is caught in any trespass the sin uh, you who are spiritual are to restore such one in a spirit of gentleness a gentleness each one looking to yourself so that you do not be tempted we need to restore people as best we can pray for them encourage them love them uh, don't be using harsh words and scolding them like you have done with your own kids <laughs> sometimes we just get to a limit we nerve galatians 6 1 Galatians, brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you will not be tempted. Don't come down on a person so hard as if you never sinned. Sometimes we do that. Don't come down on somebody like you've never sinned, but come alongside them as a fellow sinner offering help to improve themselves. So, um, Paul refers to his own example of working to provide his own needs. In 2 Thessalonians 7 through 9, here's what Paul said. He comes into Thessalonica again three weeks, works, 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 works day and night, and here he goes. He goes, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle when we were with you. Nor did we eat anyone's food without paying for it. On the contrary, we worked night and day, laboring and toiling, toiling, uh, so that we would not be a burden to any of you. We did this not because we do not have the right to have such help, but in order to sh offer ourselves as a model for you to imitate. He's working. He's preaching the gospel. He's showing the love of Christ. He's walking the walk. He's doing the thing. Talking the talk. So if you're aware of someone who's irresponsibly just mooching off of you, either in the family or in the church, and not taking initiative to get a job and be a part of the deal, uh, the Bible teaches us about working and living. Encourage them to look, to look for work. Number two, and here's the best part about being a Christian and a believer, is to love the person, lift them up as best you can, encourage them. And here's the other part, but don't enable them. Don't enable them. Lift them up, love them. I know some of you have had difficulties with family and relationships and kids and different things. And, uh, and, uh, and it's hard not to enable them by you want to make sure that they have food or they have money and that kind of thing. But sometimes they got themselves so down that they, they're just taking advantage. And we've got to be wise. We've got to be wise. Still got to be loving, but we've got to be wise. So um, 
to love, number two, point two, love, lift, and encourage an unruly believer, but don't enable them. Uh, you may need temporary assistance. People need help sometimes. They've got to figure out how to get a job and, and how to go on the interview and maybe get some clothes to do that. But he should make his job a full-time job of getting the job. Uh, and if he's uh, being res- and if he's being irresponsible, excuse me, if he's being irresponsible, don't enable him. This is good. Colossians three. Not necessarily. Do I have a slide for this? Colossians. Oh, we do. Good. This is a good one. So, what are we supposed to do? Whatever you do, church. Whatever you do, regardless of your age, regarding of your place in life, whatever you do. Do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive a reward of inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Amen? Some of you know, so what if you're at uh, one of the least, less, less expensive motels and you're, you're a maid and you're cleaning toilets with a toilet brush and you're changing those beds? What if you're a, some kind of computer person that you're in computers or business or you're a truck driver or, or whatever it is that you do? Uh, do it unto the Lord. The Lord has put you in a position. And to have that enthusiasm, have that strength, saying, Lord, this is the day that you have made. I will rejoice and be what? Glad. Be glad in it. So whatever you do, do for the Lord. Um, some of you know I've retired from business and and was in business. I've been an assistant pastor for 30 years in different churches. Uh, and now I'm a bus driver for Fialop School District. And I drive uh, I drive bus. <laughs> yeah, he's a teacher. He knows. <laughs> and so I, I uh, during the week, I probably drive 200 kids a day of your kids and grandkids uh, a day. On a school bus, I got a junior high and a high school run, and I got an elementary run, twice a day. So over in a week's period of time, I got a thousand kids that I'm looking at the mirror, and uh, uh, they're they're, uh, they're 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 testing me every single step of the way. You know, can you imagine with 50 kids in your van trying to take them to just for a 20 minute ride? So anyway, I I was bound to determine that I was going to kill him with kindness. Because the kids in today's world, and you know, Joe, being a teacher, the kids come from terrible home environments. Terrible home environments. A lot of them. A big percentage of them. And I was bound to determine I was going to kill them with kindness. So when I get in the bus, i got to do a pre-trip where I check the bus out and do all the stuff, the brakes and this. But when I get in that bus, I open that door. I start checking the seats and I check the brakes. But when I'm inside that bus... I call it angry prayer, but I get in that bus and I said, Lord, this bus is your sanctuary. This is the bus of the Most High God. The Spirit of the Living God is living in this bus, and all of these kids that are coming on this bus, that you can be with them and give them the joy and the peace that only comes from you. Let them know that, that their driver loves them. Let them know that they're loved. Let there be peace. Let there be safety. Let there be everything that comes from you, Lord, in this bus right now, in Jesus' name. I pray that twice a day, in the morning and the afternoon when I pick them up. 
And it's changed the whole atmosphere, the whole attitude of dealing with those kids. And then I like the old TV program, Cheers. Everybody's got a name. You teachers know that. Everybody's got a name. So I made it a point that my junior high and high school kids, I know 100% of their names. So when they get on the bus, I go, good morning, Mia. <laughs> Man, it's so good to see you. Brooklyn, Mia, Jordan, Logan, whatever the name is. Good morning. So good to see you. How's it going? How's the day? And I get down and look at them. Then I get on the microphone sometimes and say, I just want to let you guys know. I'm looking in the mirror and I see all your young faces. I want to let you know something. That I'm the most blessed man in the world to have you as, as kids on my bus. And I just want to let you know that I just love looking at your faces and you're awesome. You rock. And I'm, sure, I'm so glad you're on my bus. And they go, we love you, bus driver. And I go, oh, what have I done? <laughs> but see, and oh, the other thing. When I, when I, I said, Lord, when they look in that mirror, because they all can see me and I'm looking at them all the time. Lord, when they look in that mirror, they're not looking at me. They're looking at you. They see the face of Jesus. Make it happen. And you get to do that. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're doing in your stage of your life. <laughs> so Colossians, whatever you do, work heartily for the Lord, rather from in, knowing that the Lord will receive you, reward you with an inheritance. Work with all your heart, no matter what you're doing. Regardless of your age, there's still work to do. Work for the Lord instead of man. Number three, we get an eternal inheritance as a reward. Yay! Heaven's my... Heaven's not my home. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. And then serving the Lord Jesus. Number three, tough love. Tough love for the unruly believer. Paul mentions this in 6. He says, Now we command your brethren in the name of our Lord Jesus that you keep away from every believer who leads an unruly life not according to the that tradition which you received from us. If anyone does not obey our instruction in this letter, take special note of that person and don't associate with them. Uh, do not regard him as an enemy, but an admon admonish him as a brother. He's still a brother. But he's, he's just not wanted to be part of the team. And so there's a point where you go, you know, I'm not going to have coffee with you. I'm going to say hello to you. I'm going to greet you in the church. There's a little difference here because you're just, you're just either not doing anything or you're rowing contrary to where everything else is going. And that may seem a little hard, but sometimes you've got to have that, that tough love where you set back a little bit. Working for God is a team effort. How many have ever been on an uh, uh, outrigger canoe in Hawaii or somewhere on an outrigger canoe? Anybody in the house? Nobody's been on a canoe? Well, where you been? Anyway, it's a big canoe, and it's got a big arm. It's got a big arm sitting on the side. You've got six people, and everybody's rowing. So you row out, and you go up over the waves, and you get way out. And when you start coming in, everybody's rowing hard. Because suddenly, there's a 15-foot wave coming up behind you, and it's lifting the back of the boat up. And unless everybody's rowing, that thing's going to go whoop and come over and cartwheel in the waves. So it, it's imperative that everybody is rowing the boat. 
Everyone's doing their part. It's so much fun. Woo! <laughs> you know, I, the, the tug of war, you know, climbing, climbing a mountain. Anybody climbed a mountain around here? Yeah, which one? I climbed St. Helens years ago, yeah? So climbing a mountain, it's another thing. If you're tied, tied up with other people, you can't have somebody just sitting down and going, well, you know, you guys have fun. No, we need everybody doing the thing. River rafting. I've been river rafting on class four and five waves. Chlor- class four and five waves it means that the river's going downhill really fast. It hits a big rock the size of semi, so the water hits that and jumps over that one. There's another big rock, and the water's sitting that one, and the water, even though it's going downhill, is actually coming uphill. So you're going over this way, but this one's coming back this way. And you've got six or eight people on the boat, on the raft. Everybody's rowing. Hopefully everybody's rowing, because if you don't row, you're not going to get up over that second wave and splash down the other side. You'll go up, it'll flip, and you'll be stuck in a whirlpool. You need everybody rowing. You need everybody rowing. That's just like church. We need everybody rowing. Just like your family life. We need everybody rowing. It's all hands on deck. It's stand firm, hold fast. And let's do that thing together. When we stand firm and when we hold fast, when we take our last breath here (laughs) and our next breath there, we will hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Regardless of your age, there's no stopping. There's no stopping in the rowing. Um, I, uh, somewhere you all got a starting point. Your, your uh, arrival date here on planet Earth, whatever that date was, that's when you arrived on planet Earth. And there's an ending date when you're no longer here and you're in glory. And so between that point and that point, there's no stopping. Moses didn't stop doing leading children out of the Israel. He was 80 years old when he started leading people out of the Israel. Noah was 500 years old. Noah was 500 years old when he had his first children. And then a little bit later, he started building the ark, which took about 75 years. And then when he was 600 years, they got in the ark. And then for almost a year, they floated around with all those animals in the boat. Abraham, Father Abraham... Uh, lived to about 75 years old. Paul lived to about 67 years old, but he didn't stop the whole time that he was doing that. Colonel Sanders didn't start cooking chicken until he was 65. There's no stop. There's no stop. And when, when it's time for us to go, it's time for us to go. Our last breath here is our next breath is in the presence of... See? We step through that veil. Boom. We step through. My brother died of cancer about four years ago, and just briefly, and he struggled, but uh, he was there. It was a rainy, it was a beautiful day. I shared it at the men's retreat. Beautiful day, pouring down rain like it is now. uh, And there's two houses up on the thing uh, with high roofs. And uh, suddenly, the sun came out. The sun came out, 
and it came through, and the clouds separated, and between these two high roof lines, I mean, it's like a, you know, one of those things for the sun to come through. But as the sun came through, it lit up that whole room where my brother was. It lit up. It was, a, I say, it's the presence of God. It was the Spirit of God coming in that room. But the room lit up like unbelievable light. And uh, Dan was really sick. His eyes, because of the cancer, uh, had, were gray. You know, they weren't healthy. Uh, you know, I have the same color eyes, blue eyes. But when that light came in, he took a breath, opened his eyes. His eyes were bright blue, bright blue. Popped, his eyes popped open, took his last breath, and he entered into heaven. So there's a lot to do. There's a lot to do, church. Talking about, you know, folks that aren't that are unruly and disobedient, but man, there's so much. This church is so great with the way we reach out with all the different things in ministry, with backpacks and feeding programs and and clothes and whatnot. People always need that. The only caution is when you see the person on the street corner, use your own judgment. But if you're giving money to somebody, more than likely it's not going to be used. Um, best way, but that's for you to decide. I've put money in those people's pockets because God said, yeah, give them something. But that's up to you. Uh, Help me read Isaiah 58. Oh, I forgot number three. Did I forget number three? Tough love. Okay, good. Isaiah 58, 10 through 12. And please help me read this because this is the real heart of God in us as far as what we're about, and then the effects of what happens when we do it. So, here we go. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble, then your light will shine out from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry, and restoring your health. Isn't that good? You will be like a well-watered garden, like an ever-flowing spring, some of you will rebuild deserted ruins in your cities. Then you will be known as a rebuilder of the walls and a restorer of homes. Amen? Amen. Isn't that good? Uh, everyone, uh, I got something to read to you here, but everyone just take your finger and go about six or eight times. Go tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. That's our lives. It goes by so fast. And so whether you're 10 years old or 80 years old or 90 years old, time goes by. And there's the point where we take, like I say, our last breath here into the presence of the Lord. And, uh, but there's work to be done. And to do it with a joyful heart and do it quietly, but be in a difference in the world. What I want to read today uh, came in perfect when I was struggling with all this thing of how... Is, how how do I talk about being people don't eat and but I came across this and it's a good friend of mine both she and her husband are, are ordained Assembly of God pastors they have been they just retired after 50 years 
And uh, Gail, the, the wife, she's an ordained pastor, wrote this on Facebook, uh, Gail Bennett. And, uh, and uh, here was the, the thought that she says. It says, the Bible says to work while it is still day. But there's a coming day when no one can work. The bottom line, all of us who accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior uh, will have a job to do. But no longer, no longer can we watch and listen to the news and murmur and complain and become fearful and do nothing. We have been given a prominent place in the now here on earth as it is in heaven. We must be about the Father's business, lifting up Jesus, lifting up Jesus to everyone we meet. We must be Jesus with skin on doing what he did. He loved unconditionally. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons all because and because he asked the Father for the assignment. He didn't back down. He wasn't afraid. Wasn't ashamed of the gospel. That's a little added part. Feel like you can't do it. Feel like you're not qualified. Feel like you're too shy. You're not qualified. This, that, too much. I have good news for you, writes Gail. In the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, he lives in you. He lives in you. I'll repeat that. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Amen? The same Holy Spirit power lives in you. And the same anointing lives in you. Tick, tock, tick, tock, tick, tock. Time is short. Don't waste it. Make the difference in someone's life today. In Jesus' name. Amen.